0: On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time.
2: For years we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing
0: persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont, on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished.
2: Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases.
0: Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today?
2: I'm doing fantastic today, Tim, and it is 100% because of our guest today.
0: I agree. Our guest today is a delight. We've had him on starting way back in, gosh, Lance, I think the single digits of uh, episodes. I think I want to say episode seven was the first time Clint Harding appeared on our airwaves, and he is back. The return of Clint Harding, this is probably going to be a two-parter because we just have a great time talking with him and can't make it quick, and we were talking for about an hour and a half, so uh, we'll probably cut this one into two episodes, and it's very informative.
2: Yeah, one of the takeaways that I think is very important for myself is reconnecting with someone like Clint and hearing his thought process while he is independently investigating Moore's disappearance and how he can bring these items to the table. We can have a discussion and we've had disagreements in the past, but ultimately we can move on beyond the disagreement and come to some sort of logical either, you know, that's what you believe and that's not what I believe, or we can come to some sort of conclusion about some, uh, some of these items, uh, He loves going through his material and making corrections because he knows that that's something that's the responsible thing to do. And if anybody has listened to our show since the beginning, you know that we have made many mistakes and have corrected ourselves. Uh, It's important to do, we think. We will always stand by that, and it's good to have someone like Clint um, also in our corner
0: when it comes to that. And we are in his corner as well. Great points, I agree, and it was, you know, a little bit like hanging out with an old friend. Uh, I know we, we've we never met Clint in person, or not not yet at least, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was just great reconnecting with Clint as well, so that's kind of the other uh, level here because, you know, we've known him, I guess, since what, 2015, 2016 now. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoy these two episodes and follow us on social media at MissingCSM. And hey, Tim, what are you doing next week, next Thursday night? I'll be in Saratoga Springs with you and Josh Hallmark of True Crime BS. Our friend Marcella Hammer of the Saratoga True Crime Club. We have some experts that are going to be there as well.
2: We have DNA specialist Toby Kirschman, who worked on the Golden State Killer case. We have Dr. Christina Lane and Dr. Christopher Kunkel from the Cold Case Analysis Center at the College of St. Rose. And this is Thursday june 17th from 6 p.m to 9 p.m at putnam place 36 putnam street in saratoga springs new york you can go to eventbrite.com and search saratoga true crime night to buy your tickets
0: they are going like hotcakes. thanks for listening everybody we'll see you in saratoga Mint Harding, welcome back to the podcast. How are you tonight?
1: Tim and Lance. I, boy, I haven't seen you guys in a little while. This is me. For a while. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is me clapping for you. I'm so excited <laughs> to have you back on. Well, thank you. Thank you, Thank guys. you. Uh, before we started recording, you said that um, the past year plus, you felt like a brown recluse Wandering around your your apartment, and I think that really like really sums up. You said that, and it clicked with me. Yeah. I don't I don't feel like I feel like a brown recluse, but I can get it. Like I almost feel right. that way. Like because it even gets to the point where you you start to get like irritable, and and right. and then you're like you do feel like this little creepy crawly like spider don't with me type thing and um
1: (laughs) i'm like that anyway but no But
2: you're you're very jovial right now and it it looks like um it looks like you're you've taken care of yourself you've stayed busy um and can't thank you enough for coming back on regardless of what we're going to talk about tonight because you're an old school guest this is back in the day
1: been back in the early days. Yeah. I remember when Tim was just breaking in his first microphone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and now we're all uh. grows up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like I was telling you guys being, being cooped up like that is, it it's, it's been tougher than you really, you don't even realize it until I think you actually get out and do something. Like I went to Missouri for a week and man, that was so nice. So yeah, if you, uh, If you're just kind of cooped up like that, that's, that's pretty rough, but, but I think everybody's in some way has because of COVID and and hopefully we're, uh, putting those days behind us pretty soon.
0: Yeah, people are getting out and about now, so hopefully there's uh, you know a little more for that uh, brown recluse in you to, uh, to explore. <laughs> well, uh, Clint, we're talking about Maura Murray tonight, the disappearance of Maura Murray, and you've done a lot of work. You've been to Amherst. You have been on these airways many times, and uh, I know you wanted to start with a correction.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of corrections this case you're gonna have these kinds of things and and it's important that that we try to get as factual as we possibly can and I, I care more about that than I do you know going over corrections so
2: before you get into the corrections real quick we can only just do this for one minute because yeah. it's basically a yester or, yes or no we didn't get into a fight at any point did we
1: oh throughout the years yeah no I'm not forgetting I'm- something. I was harsh on you guys and early on. I think it was around the time you interviewed Rick Graves. I don't no, remember no. why that that set me off, but anyway. Oh no,
2: I totally remember that. But you know, that's something where you can reach out and you can criticize, and then we have a right. dialogue uh, via right. email or or even on on the phone. But we never had like a falling out, right?
1: No. Okay. No, no, not like some of your guests. Boy, <laughs> some of the people are just in this. Oh case. yeah, and I. <laughs> We're not going to elaborate on that.
2: <laughs> that was the reason why I was asking is because uh, it's it's we have a handful of people that we like to keep in touch with uh, because like we can have these disagreements and right. follow back up with, you know, so how was your weekend or something like that? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like how you've been hanging in there during covid uh, right. instead You're of not just wanting to turn to the
1: police or anything, are you guys? <laughs> 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 All no. Right. no, sir. Well,
2: the interview is <laughs> young.
1: all right first correction of the night is we're going to deal with the episode 12 if that's way back way back when there and everybody was still kind of fresh with this case but uh we were talking about robinson ordway that was her screen name i won't use her real name but she is the person with the the official red truck sighting and i think you guys know what i'm talking about and I had described uh, her as saying that she had an eagle, or she described the truck as having an eagle decal on the back. And that's what I, I didn't say it like, she, you know, I quoted her or anything, because I have every quote that she's ever gave, and she's never said anything about an eagle decal. But I attributed it to her to being a person who said there was an eagle decal on the back of the truck. Now, why is this important me? Well, it's, I mean, it's just, it's like the, it's like the definition of this case is i mean if, if you try to go back and figure out where did this come from who, who where did this come from it'll take you down so many different rabbit holes it's it's insane so basically you know, I, I was just led to believe that that this was what she said because you you have like newly Le- new hampshire league of investigators that have supposedly gone online and said that this is what this witness told them and so you know, you don't. I don't question everything that I see, and and so certain things I kind of take as, you know, truth. But in reality, uh, there's actually two different red truck sightings, and that somehow that they got merged uh, together. So you have you have Robinson Ordway's account, which is everybody I think agrees is is very credible. It's very truthful. She's always been consistent. And then you have another red truck account that just, I don't even know if it's real. It could be a a red herring or it could be, you know, but anyway, do you guys know anything about the second red truck sighting that people talk about? It goes, there's rumors have it going like five different ways.
0: Was that the one that was in the collision report?
1: No, this one was a red, truck's, a red truck that was supposedly found parked on Bradley Hill Road. So that's right around the area of the crash. So the different accounts are there was a truck parked somewhere alongside Bradley Hill Road with the door open. That's one account. Then the truck turned onto Bradley Hill Road and supposedly uh, Robinson Ordway saw it, which obviously that's wrong because she wasn't anywhere near the accident location that night. She was walking from her home, which was on which is the other direction to the store, to the Swiss water store. And then you have somebody was walking their dog and they encountered this red truck on Bradley Hill and the dog got spooked by something going on in the bushes and the dog wouldn't walk any further. And so, I mean, this thing has taken such a life of its own, but anyway, supposedly that's where the Eagle decal comes in. Cause that truck supposedly has this Eagle decal on it. So. So, uh, so the, I don't know if the new league, new Hampshire league of investigators just gets it wrong, uh, or there's some bad information. I remember getting in, literally getting in, getting frustrated with, uh, detective Colombo. Do you know who that is from the topics era?
0: Right, is that John Smith?
1: John Smith. I yeah. remember getting into him over that because it, it made me so mad because he would just bring it up over and over this red truck siding on Bradley Hill Road. And I'd always ask him to elaborate, and he would, it, it just never went anywhere. And I don't think he's, he purposely, you know, made this thing up. I think it's something that he saw either from one of these newly these investigators that he talks to or something like that. So I don't even believe in this, uh, second red truck sighting. And if I, and the cynic in me even thinks even wants to go a little further because there is a suspect that often gets talked about on the forums and especially in topics back in the day, I know you guys know who this suspect is and I'm not going to use his name, but he's a prominent, uh, concrete guy or something in that area. And supposedly he had a red truck that had an Eagle on it. So it's just kind of convenient that that truck ends up right by the accident location, uh, right around the time that Mara went missing. And, and, and then nobody can seem to vouch, you know, provide any details about it. They can't provide a nine one one log that has anything about a call going in. Cause that, that was another rumor. Somebody from their house saw this truck and called nine one one about it. Cause it. If they, they thought it was suspicious, but you can't find that anywhere. So
0: it sounds like local rumors kind of yeah took it just the, went
1: crazy. Just went crazy.
0: And that combined with message boards is that where most of this information came from.
1: I, I attribute it to the uh to the investigators there, the the ones that were kind of volunteers for the the family and maybe, and maybe, you know, and you, and you don't know if, if these guys are, cause I I, I do believe that there's a guy named that went by the handle weeper and I do believe him to be a legit investigator, but it, it's possible that that maybe that person was just pretending to be, you know, this, this investigator. So, you know, maybe that truck rumor is true. I mean, maybe there is some, or maybe it's, it's kind of a, one of those deals where maybe it happened like in the afternoon and then it's just kind of, over time, it just got closer to when Mara went missing, and closer to where her car was found. So, I just don't put any credit into that second uh, sighting, and that is where the eagle decal came from.
2: Great to know. That's interesting. I so, so I get it straight in my head. The correction is um, the eagle decal that was in the window. Was um, You had originally attributed that to Robinson Ordway sightings, but it was sort of conflated with this other rumor of a truck that was around Bradley Hill that was parked, right? um, where that report stated that this red truck had an Eagle decal on it.
1: Right. Yeah, the different rumors put this Eagle decal on this truck.
2: Crazy. I mean, after all these years and all these episodes, like having something like that pop up, I mean, what else is out there, right? What other conflations are Uh, out there? If that's I'm even sure there's more. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure there's more. But I'm curious yeah. why you think that this is truly just a rumor and this red truck does does not exist.
1: Well, like I said, yeah, you know, even back in the day, I was questioning people about it, and like John Smith was one, but there were others, and nobody ever provided any kind of backup to it. You know, it was all it always died really quickly when you tried to press people for answers. So I even, I even called it out as and said it was you know BS back then. So, and it and maybe it was maybe it was real. Like I said, it could be real, but it could be something to where it really didn't have anything to do with. But you know, it just kind of the the story just kind of changes and merges and gets confused with with everything else that was going on.
0: But the actual story is from Robinson is credible. Very credible. Yes, we're saying the additional reports of red truck sightings are not so credible
1: not that i i don't believe they are and to further add you you guys know who folk is folk stop uh he did actually reach out to robinson ordway uh i think it was in 2019 and he asked her directly you know did you see an eagle decal and her exact answer was no i did not see a decal so and And another thing, and she was attributed to being the person walking the dog too in some of those rumors. so so right. those definitely got merged at some point by some and it could and it could be an innocent explanation. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody purposely tried to interject a, a red truck that they wanted the suspect looked at, but that's that's the cynic in me believes that that's what happened. I did send you guys a application form for the dorm monitor job that Mara would have had, and and I got that in 2009 when I first started really looking into this case. I talked to somebody at Dickinson uh, to try to verify some information, so basically those hours have always remained the same. That form would be the exact one that she would have filled out to get that job, so hopefully you can display that so the viewers know what we're talking about uh, when this episode airs. Again, when I, when I uh, interviewed Karen back in the day, I I think it was like 2015 or something like that. I wanted her to give me a first person account, kind of like you would go into a police station and write down a witness statement of that whole Thursday night. And so I didn't have any prodding questions or leading questions to her. And I, and I think it's just kind of I don't know. I just, I don't think you can ask somebody this many years later, you know, what time did you encounter Mara, Mara Murray? Uh, and, and, and none, in her answer to me when, she, when she was writing out her statement, she never used a time once at all. So that is very important to understand. So as far as her getting confused on times, uh, I, I think that's, the, you know, that's a pretty reasonable thing to kind of expect for somebody to try to re- recollect something from, well over 10 years old. Uh, she, I did talk to her recently, uh, on one of the message boards, actually probably it's probably been about six months ago. And she, she wanted to clarify a couple things. First off, she says, uh, times become difficult to pinpoint. So many years later, I always had the times in connection to when her shift ended, but the shifts always ended at different times. And, uh, so I kind of have the range that she encountered Mara that night, that Thursday night as being from anywhere from 1240 to ending that uh, night where she let Mara watch Mara go off to her dorm room at 120 somewhere in that range is when, when she went to, uh, and, in, and had her encounter with Mara. So it was 1240 to 120. It could be 1250. It could be one o'clock that she showed up at the dorm at the door Mara was working at, but in around 1.20 is when she took her back to the uh, to Kennedy Hall where Mara lives, which is only a few steps out, out the front door of the Mel- Melville Hall that she was working at. So, and then when when I did interview her, here's exactly what she said. So this is her only uh, reference to time, uh, is that I then told her if she wanted, when I got off shift in a little while. So that tells you right there, if their shift ends at 2 a.m. That And she's going to say that when I got off shift in a little while, we could go get some Duncans together because Duncans is still open, that we're talking more in the range of 2 a.m. and not 10.30. So hopefully we can put this to rest that the encounter between the supervisor and Mara did not happen at 10.30 p.m. because I know that gets confused a lot. And I know we've talked about it a lot over the years, and we still don't seem to have that nailed down as a fact. But I, I, hopefully we can do that, because I've always had that application packet, like I said, since 2009. So the hours have never been in question to me.
0: Okay, so her shift ended at 2 a.m., is yes. what you're saying, on that Thursday night, because right. here in the application packet it gives the hours of the shifts sunday right. through wednesday 8 p.m to 12 a.m thursday 8 p.m to 2 a.m and friday and saturday 8 p.m to 3 a.m it says with two asterisks this is a night position
1: correct and it, what pisses me off and i'm sorry to use the cuss words already this early is that if you go right now to the umass police website because they will talk about these these positions their exact wording on their website right now same as it's been for all these years is residence hall security personnel staff the lobbies from 8 p.m to midnight on weekdays and 8 p.m to 3 on weekends they don't even get thursday night at all in there so and that and that's the official police website so so uh it's just it's something that's again it's easily i think can get muddled up there but but the reality is the encounter did take place cl- closer to 2 not 10:30 and that and that's pretty important i guess if we're looking at other things like phone calls and things of that nature to try to determine what happened that night uh she also wanted to clarify a couple other things uh so she is a she's a supervisor, right? But she, but on that particular night, she was the area supervisor. She was not the southwest dorms, which is where Mara was working. She was not the supervisor for that set of dorms that night. So normally on a shift, she would encounter Mara two times, maybe three times at the most, if she was working in the southwest uh, dorm area. But on that night, she would only encounter Mara once and because she had to make rounds all throughout campus that night and the reason why she ended up going to check on Mara is because the supervisors that were in charge of Southwest they knew they found Mara upset and they knew that Karen knew Mara so they wanted Karen to go to go uh, deal with Mara because they knew that she knew Mara better than they did so that's how that came to be. Okay, and, and I want to tail that into the Patrie Vossi hit and run angle cuz I know we've talked about that before and I want to find out from you guys where you're at on, on the Patrie Vossi hit and run angle current current day.
0: I don't really have anything new to add. I would just say I um I think if you take a step back, it seems like a lot of pieces would fit into place if there was some truth to Vasi being hit by the Saturn. Um, but I don't think it it is true. I I would I'll go out on that limb. I don't think so. It's uh, I just think we probably would have known by now. Yeah,
2: you could you could try to make the timeline fit on that if you if you really tried. But the main fact is that this poor individual was hit and went into a coma. Luckily, survived. I don't see Mora not telling anybody. I never met Mora, but I don't see her being that upset because that's the, that's one of the reasons people give, right? Is she was that upset right. because, but if she was that upset, was she upset because she didn't tell anybody? I feel like she would have told somebody. I feel like she would have, I, may, I don't know, it's just my feeling on this. She would have wanted to make sure that this guy didn't die
1: yeah and, and that is a key point that you bring up because at the time i guess the hit run took place they didn't know if he was going to survive and and obviously we know future on that he was in a coma for a long period of time before he came out of that so that would be a very spooky situation if you were to be the one involved but I, again like lance brings up a good point you wouldn't know at the, that exact moment probably the seriousness of it now if you saw a newspaper article about it maybe a day or two later maybe that brings it into perspective a lot more and that is one of the things people will bring up and say you know that came out on Monday. there was a newspaper article that came out on the hit and run on the monday that mara disappeared now i want to preface that and i think i've done it before but i want to make sure everybody understands there was also another newspaper article that had come out a day or two earlier than that so if we're just gonna try to say that the newspaper article on Monday is the reason Mara split campus, then that that wouldn't be accurate because there were at least two different newspaper articles that came out. And that doesn't mean Mara, she may not even read any either of the newspapers. So but but just wanted to bring that point up. Uh, so that brings us to correction number two on the Patreet Vasi hit and run angle, and that is. And I know we've talked about it on, on on your show before. Is the location was is wrong from where I thought it was, and it's only uh, 0.2 miles away from where I originally thought it was. And I want to explain how that happened. So the original reporting actually had a diagram that showed the location of the hit and run accident. Well, it was wrong. <laughs> the location there's two intersections of Mattoon Street and Triangle Street. Uh, they're real close to one another. All, what happens is Mattoon, uh, you enter Mattoon off of triangle and it wraps around a swimming pool and a baseball field, I believe. And then it comes back on the other end and it meets back up with triangle. So I always thought it was the intersection that was closer to campus where Mara was working. And it's actually the other intersection that the hit and run took place where Vossi was found. He was actually found, I believe, on Triangle Street. Uh, so, but anyway, I just wanted to make that correction there. It was early reporting, had it at the other location and that was wrong. And I, I went off the police report that I got off of Mr. James Renner's website. And that's how I was able to determine that finally. I never even thought to look at that to because I always thought it was factual, you know? And that, again, that's gonna happen with this case.
0: Mm -hmm. And how did you determine that it was wrong?
1: The address on the accident report says 48. uh, Let me see where I wrote that down here. 48 triangle. So I looked up 48 triangle and it takes you right to that other spot as opposed to the first spot. Doesn't really change anything, but I wanted to obviously want to get that out there. Uh, I do want to continue on a couple things on the Vasi hit and run angle. Uh, so, when I visited the campus in 2011, I wasn't even entertaining this theory at all. But I do remember being in lot 50. The parking lot on on uh, the campus that's just right next to Melville Hall, where Mara was working. Lot 50 is a kind of it's it's an employee parking lot, and it's it has a blue permit. And if you want to park there, you have to pay. I think it's extra money to get get that parking spot. I could have swore I remember seeing a sign where I parked my rental car that day. It was a Saturday. It's in the summer, so there ain't a lot of people there but I was worried still because it said for security only. And I was worried, you know, I don't want to venture too far away from my car and then come back and it's towed away. I just remember that. And that's the And again, I wasn't looking at the Vossi hit and run angle, but the whole reason I'm bringing this up is uh, that parking lot is really close to the doors. Mara was working at and people will argue against her being involved in the hit and run because she was working and if she had a break, she would have had to go all the way back to her normal parking spot to get her car to go on break. And they're just, the time doesn't add up that she would have had time to do that. But if she was able to park in that employee parking lot, it would have been no problem. It would have been like 30 seconds. So I did talk to Karen about this. I wanted to clear this up with her supervisor. And I think her supervisor or her supervisor said, for one, they don't get the breaks that I thought they got. You know, you're working a six-hour shift Uh, that night, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m., so I would think by law you would have to be required at least a lunch break or something, but she kind of made it sound like they only got, like, bathroom breaks, and it would be, like, once or twice a night, so I just don't see Mara having the time to get out and be able to be involved in this hit-and-run accident, even though it's possible she could have parked in that lot 50, but again, she didn't have a, I don't think she had a blue permit on her car either, so that would be another thing that would rule against it. So I'm kind of with you guys. I don't think she was involved. I've gone back and forth over the years on that, on whether she could have, because there are some things that just kind of, you know, you hear, oh, you know, this this hit and run took place on the other side of town. Well, that's wrong. That was wrong. It was, it wasn't very far from where she was working at. So, but at the same time, you know, all things considered, and then you have the event da- data recorder, which is like the black box on the car. And you'll hear different things about those. You know, they don't uh, record or they'll, they'll record over events. So like if she had the wreck Monday night, it would have recorded over anything that happened prior to that. That is in, inaccurate. If she, if you have any kind of a collision, it's going to store that uh, at least for three weeks. I think it was back then on cars like that. So if she would have had something happen that Thursday night, it would have been on that event data recorder still that monday night and i think they did look over that so if they would have found something you know it would have been that night
2: that's actually a really good point um because we were talking in depth about that and i'm i'm wondering yeah you're you're right they they would have found something there some sort of impact
1: right yeah that no way that would have not left an impact or got that event data recorder going because those things will go for you know excessive speed change or something so any kind of collision i think would definitely set that off
2: it was so detailed it, it gave the events of the impact during the accident within fractions of seconds there was a, yeah. a a small impact and then the 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 last impact that initiated the airbags so yeah and, and those i mean if they're can, that sensitive yeah.
1: And they can like tell you if you're wearing your seatbelt or not. I mean, they yeah. can do so many different things. And so, so I'm, I'm pretty firm now in the camp that uh, she was not involved in that hit and run. Finally. Yeah. And I've gone back and forth over the years on that. I uh, want to talk about uh, Peabody. You guys know who that is?
0: Yeah. Peabody Sharon Roush from Web Sleuths.
1: Yeah. Sharon Roush. So I, I found uh you know, and I, I try to keep anybody that gives a quote, oh man, that's gold to me. I don't care who it is. I'll take their quotes over when it comes to this case and I store them over the years. I got everybody's quotes, but she's been the gold. She's been the queen on the quotes because she, she gives a very detailed quotes and she always, uh, share her information. I think it's pretty accurate, you know, maybe there's some spin in there, but, uh, there is one quote that I came across probably six or seven months ago that I had never really paid a lot of attention to but i I want to bring it up again because it has to do with how Maura's dorm room was left and I know where we where are we on this guys packed or unpacked
2: I'm going partially unpacked
1: ah from winter break
0: yes I'm gonna go uh packed up to leave
1: that's where I've always been I've oh that always used to infuriate me when people would Think that her room wasn't on un- or that she hadn't unpacked yet for break. But so we know that there were pictures that were released. I think it was around the time the oxygen documentary came out and Maggie got a hold of some pictures, right? Mm-hmm. What was missing in them pictures? They didn't show the bed. And I true. think that's pretty important because the, if you go back to the Lieutenant Scarenza, who was the lead investigator of the case uh he brings up the fact that this bed had stacked boxes they were neatly packed and there was a note found on top of the boxes and that has been led to a lot of dispute online over the years with family and just with people posting about the case so uh her here was her quote she was she wasn't even taught and that's the thing about peabody is is she'll be talking about something saying something else, uh, that I don't, I don't even know. Anyway, I'm just going to read you the quote and I want to hear your guys's reaction to this quote. The only person outside of police that was in the dorm Mar- was Morris's boyfriend. The only thing he told the family was that there was a West point sweatshirt, all the stuffed animals he had given her and all of the cards and letters that he mailed to her on the bed. What are your thoughts on that?
0: It sounds like she collected them and or someone put them there as a message for him.
1: Right. Lance, uh, what do you think on that? Because, again, you know, if you think that she hadn't unpacked yet, uh, do you think that that kind of counters that a little bit or do you think?
2: Can you tell me again what the investigators said was on the bed?
1: Okay, so the lead investigator he said that there, that she had packed her boxes neatly, packed her boxes the night before, stacked them on her bed, and they left a note to Bill on top of the top the top box. That was okay. what he said.
2: And Peabody said online in a forum.
1: Right. And again, she wasn't really talking directly. She was, I think she, what she was explaining, it was who went into Mara's dorm room. I think that was the point of her post.
2: Okay. And what did she say? What did Peabody say?
1: Said that there was a West Point sweatshirt, all the stuffed animals that Billy had given her and all the cards and letters that he had mailed to her on the bed.
2: And she said this.
1: On WebSleuth, yeah, and I don't remember.
2: And what was what was yeah. her source?
1: Billy, I'm assuming Bill. Billy, yeah.
0: Well, that's a weird thing too because Peabody is not actually saying she's Sharon Roush. She's right. like saying she's right, a friend right, of right. Sharon or something. So, yeah, a gr- great question.
1: You can tell by the by the quote because she says refers to him as Mara's boyfriend. So she doesn't say my son told me this. So it was. So.
2: It's sort of just an empty statement into the ether because it really didn't have any context was what you're saying it had some context but
1: oh i'm sure there right. was context but not really it wasn't really meant to highlight that i don't think okay so and your
2: question was what do i make of that
1: right the, the the items the specific items that were found on the bed
2: the the items that were found on the bed according to peabody yeah. were just things related to her boyfriend billy
1: uh, and, and again, yeah, that since she wasn't actually in the room and maybe he was only talking about very specific items, maybe there was a whole bunch of other items beside that. So we don't have that context. Well,
2: I think it's odd to say, to, even if it was some random per not random, even if it was some commenter on WebSleuth that said the items on the bed consisted of a watch her dad gave her, a book her brother gave her and uh running shoes or sister gamer right i would find that extremely odd because that's not what the investigator said like what what is what is the reasoning behind
0: making up
1: that's why we need to see the picture damn it right i know there's more pictures out
0: there i attached the um the instagram post from from the photos that we were given by by maggie and the police um for that and you can actually see one of them has uh photos of bags looks like a couple of bags of clothes on the floor
1: yeah i saw that I, yeah
0: but it almost looks like cropped right that it actually looks <laughs> like it's sitting next i was gonna to the say bed. the exact yeah.
1: same thing as the way that that was cropped it, it just see, it, that is not if i they sent me out to shoot a room of a missing person that mm-hmm. is not how i would shoot those pictures so i I don't know. I yeah. bet you there's a quite a bit more pictures than what what we saw released. Yeah, I think
0: you're right. I think that one's definitely cropped and I don't you know obviously we don't really know why. Um but but back to the Peabody thing for a second. It's really tough to tell if that's an if that's actually truth. Right. You know, as something Sharon heard which, obviously, she was very close to the investigation. I'm sure she's heard a lot of things that we haven't heard that are true. That's
1: why, why I got my listening ears on and my eye, eyesight watching her. Every time I see a quote there, I like. It. I don't have to believe everything 100% either, but I just like to have any quotes I can get from anybody, really, on the case. But that leads into so now we have that note, right? And that note was in big dispute. Uh, the police officer he referred to it as a, I think it, you know he's kind of an older guy, I think, and and uh, so him calling it a personal note, I don't think is inaccurate, even if it was an email exchange, you know, and that was something that Peabody and that they kind of went online or they not online. They went to the newspapers with and said, Oh, he's trying to spin a narrative about suicide saying it's a personal note when it actually was an old email or something like that. Uh, so I did get the chance to talk a little bit with Billy bill on, on the forums probably about six months ago also on the note that he found in the dorm room. Okay. So great. This is interesting because he says that uh, there was no recently received personal note on top of the boxes when I was in her dorm room. I did find an email from 2002 tucked into the pages of a basketball program that was beside her desk. Now, that's interesting enough because police supposedly had gone into a room before him. And I would think that this note that this the lead investigator brings up in his press Uh, conference with the FBI in Vermont when they were trying to see if the Maitland case was tied to Mars case Uh, and he briefed everybody he brought up this note that they found on top do you think they would stick that note in a basketball program after after finding it so this is where he said he found it now could there be more than one note yes that's true but then he went on to say i did discuss this email with police while answering their questions about the topic of the email i recall standing beside her desk when i read saw the email i don't recall if it was on her desk or perhaps on top of boxes beside her desk that was his official answer so bottom line is police did engage with him about this note and so there is a note out there that exists it's not fictitious it's not made up now you know and then the contents are between police and, and Bill but uh, again uh, if he found a note in a basketball program I don't know it just doesn't jive with with what uh, Scarenza was talking about and then with what they confronted him about I don't think again that they would just tuck that note away in a basketball program and leave the room And again, and Bill, he's he was pretty clear that you know maybe maybe there is a second note out there, and maybe he doesn't even know about it. Maybe police have a second note somewhere that they, but uh, I kind of believe since he went on to say that he talked to police about the email, that that you know it's one and the same.